Hello, everyone. Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers, inviting you all back to our wonderful Finding Peaks podcast. Here we are. Media episode here today, joined by Jason Friesma. This guy. Chief Clinical Officer, LPCLAC, all the clinical things. Mm -hmm. Clint Nicholson, Chief Operating Officer, LPCLAC, all the other clinical things. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Exactly. Welcome back, works. guys. It's yeah. been forever since I've seen you. So mm. grateful to have you back on the show. Uh, today we're talking about um, leading a healthcare organization. What's that, what's that like? What are we doing? Uh, comments, thoughts, ideas, finding peaks at peaksrecovery.com. That's where this idea is coming from. We want to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of what it means to actually do something like this and operate a company like that uh, and deliver the services that we promise. I think the thing that I want to start with the viewers uh, with is that um, oftentimes I come out of these out of the gates in these episodes and I and I poke and I prod and I point at the problems but we don't uh, I don't always do I think a, a terrific job about wrapping that around and providing this like the solutions and the actual context and the sort of story building to it. Um, so hopefully deliver that more. Be patient with me, world. Uh, on t I think the, probably the best segue that I can think of into this topic is the responsibility, right? First and foremost of advertising for services like our substance use disorder, mental health primary, whatever the case might be. We put an ad up on the internet, we send out clips into social media, the social medias, the TikToks of the world, all of that. And out of that, we get a response for people who are engaged in looking for the services. And for me, there's a significant responsibility that comes with that because you're stating, I can help the condition you are suffering from in the first place. But certainly in our growth at peak, starting from 12 employees with 36 beds to having 111 employees with 36 beds, <laughs> there's a great deal you can do in leading a behavioral health company uh, in our industry. Uh, Clinton's only been with us for two-ish two years going yeah. on so we're not gonna go all the way back in time in that regard but certainly freeze I think you and I both know the differences in running a company culture with 12 employees for the same amount of beds uh, versus 111 and, and um, walk us through just a little bit of how you see that responsibility shifting um, from those good old days to kind of where we're at today, right? Because when we're, when we're in those moments with that setting and with that amount of staff and that same sort of wholehearted dedication, there's, there's limitations to it. At the same time, um, I don't think we ever felt like we weren't doing the right thing, yeah. right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, I mean, talking about a transition, I mean, it is, it is crazy to go from a company that does have 12 employees uh, to an organization that has, you know, over a hundred and um, so much of it was just our growing up in development as, as an organization. And I think um, when we were kind of in a, a grassroots stage of like startup and, and opening up and primarily doing uh, PHP and IOP work, um, the transition from that, uh, that, that felt um, very similar to when I was doing um, my own practice with counseling, uh, whereas now I feel like we literally are a behavioral healthcare company. I would not have said that seven years ago mm -hmm. yeah. um, by any stretch of the imagination, but now, you know, we have a medical team and we have um, a ton of protocol for how we treat uh, various conditions and how we uh, go about our, our business. And then as a result of that, um, it's really offered us the opportunity to help out uh, a set of clients that, off, that we would never have been able to handle five years ago, maybe not even three years ago. Um, and we were, we've actually been talking about that as a leadership team, just the expansion of our capacity um, as far as uh, what type of person we're able to help support. So that's, that's what I've noticed in our growth. Yeah. Well, you can't go back into those milestones with us uh, in that regard, Clint. So we'll, we'll get up to speed here as far as uh, getting you involved with this, uh, this discussion. But I, I think one of the, you know, the aspects of that growth in, in leading a healthcare company, right? The, the first thing that I recognized is all the jobs I was doing in the early stages of uh, <laughs> our growth and our development and probably all the hats that you were wearing in that regard, therapist, manager, uh, case manager, family services provider, uh, transportation maybe at times, I don't know, I was certainly doing tours and you know things of that nature, but I state all that because um, 
the responsibility to the individual. We have a stabilization model, right? Um, we're telling you know, families that when individuals come into you know, Peaks Recovery Centers, that first two weeks is probably one of the most challenging time periods from a craving state protocol, from a comfortability, uh, mental health primary, individuals finding safety within the organization to you know, sit still and be there in the first place and walk through their journey with us. Uh, so getting back at that responsibility, it feels like the greater responsibility we've obtained in this sort of transaction of employees is an actual ability when somebody is disrupted, dysregulated, whatever that might look like, for the organization first and foremost to be able to turn to that individual, support them on top of that, be sure to let the family system know what's going on, be supportive of them and you know, talking about what's going on with the person's about to AMA or whatever the case might be. Uh, in that regard, and also to be able to nurture the whole milieu who might be disrupted by the disruption or who might be just totally fine, but at the same time, you want to give priority to because they're there suffering in their own you know, unique ways at that time. Uh, and so just curious to talk a little bit more about that and out loud with you guys about you know, that collective experience and what it's been like to arrive at a place that had literally no staff on coal, or maybe you were just the primary one at that time, you know, to now having if something, you know, gets disrupted, you know, especially around the shifts, the night shifts and the weekend shifts where you're a little, you know, lighter in staff where we have, you know, now here at Peaks, right, um, a medical provider on call, a clinician on call, a residential staff member on call, uh, executive team members on call, uh, individuals who in a moment's notice now can turn and actually show up on site and help nurture the individual, the family situation and everybody else around us. I'm going to speak pragmatically, which uh, so Clinton, oh. you got the feeling lane. Uh, oh, yeah, today, I'll I think. take care of feelings. Yeah, yeah I you. got it. Don't, don't even worry um, about it. But I think I, you bring up an issue. I, I can remember um, contemplating, like, how do we scale this business? Because so much <laughs> of it was just about the personalities. Like, it was my personality, yours, Chris's, um, you know, and other people that have come along uh, along the way here. And how do we scale uh, our persons and actually what it turns out is you need processes. I uh, need to take what the people are doing um, and then teach that and build the processes and um, you're it, welcome for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so how does that feel? That was about, that <laughs> was, feel, his pragmatism was about as short-lived as I'm imagining. My feelings are immense right now. Yeah, I can yeah, imagine. Pragmatically speaking. Yeah. I think any organization um, that's go, that goes from this like grassroots sort of model that you mentioned, Jason, like initially you guys are the answer to everything, yeah. right? Like individuals within the company, those 12 people, that, that core solve all of the problems. But if as a company gets bigger, um, if a company is going to get bigger, at some point the operations do have to take over. I know I'm a little <laughs> bit, you know, steer towards the operational side of things, but eventually systems actually replace people to a certain degree so that you can expand and replicate. Um, and being able to, but I think the key is actually being able to, to connect. There is a, a clinical aspect to the way systems are developed and implemented that actually makes a good behavioral health company a good behavioral health company. So the systems actually have to be um, designed to meet the needs of people, not just the needs of the organization, and um, really have to be clinically and medically um, sort of founded so that it supports, um, it kind of doesn't really replace the talent that is, um, that was initially, or the individuals that were initially solving those problems, but it allows for it to be sort of replicated to a certain degree, yeah. Yeah, but in the end, I mean, it, that's, that's what it takes, you have to have, operations put in place and systems put in place. Yeah. How, you know, I'm curious, Jason, and, you know, something that, you know, I think it's important for the viewers out there to experience, like, you know, growth frustrations within organizations or even organizations out there who might be that 12, you know, staff organization, like, how do I get from there to a place like, you know, peaks and make those leaps? But, you know, so I just want to highlight what feels like um, uh, an experience um, that at the time felt healthy and right and now doesn't feel like the best approach in the way things. So we've been talking about narratives, right, in our company culture. What is the common narrative that brings all individuals into peaks, that shared collective energy, whether it's mental health primary, substance use disorder, and so forth. 
that is a commonality of the room. We've, we've thrown words out like suffering. You know, we're commonly suffering uh, as a culture, as a society, individuals within the society. Maybe that's the language we're still working on it. But when we were not right-sized in the way that we are in serving the patient demographic, but going back to that time, it seems like you're constantly projecting a narrative, right? And out of that narrative comes harmful things, I, potentially harmful things that otherwise wouldn't take place. Like, we might say something like in past Peaks culture with those 12 employees that, oh, the client's just not willing. Mm. Whereas in this culture that we're in, it, of course they're not. We, they just gave up, you know, the drug. We know the tension that exists within those craving states and we identify that. And so the narrative now isn't like, oh, they're not willing. It's like they're going through a really challenging moment right now and they're suffering in a big way than they've not suffered, you know, prior to coming into this program because of these detox protocols. Like, like, let's have a genuine conversation about that. Let's work through ways in which we can uphold boundaries that are positive in this regard that can be supportive of the individual. But at the same time, it's not an unwillingness or a, a personal character trait um, for why they are you know, dysregulated in the way that they are. I mean, does that feel accurate kind of comparing? Yeah, I mean, I, from a clinical terminology, we would say treatment resistant. And mm. um, <laughs> fortunately, we don't say those words at all at Peaks because uh, uh, that's not a very curious statement. Um, and it's not very, it's very blaming on a client and it doesn't require much uh, uh, clinical aptitude. But, but that sort of mentality or, or using the word denial, like somebody's just in denial, uh, another word that we don't really use anymore at Peaks. Um, that's, those are the first couple things that come to my mind um, as I look at our growth. Yeah. yeah. And statements like that, what they do is they allow the organization to not be introspective, right? Like you don't actually have to look at yourself as an organization and look at your processes and um, look at the way in which you're approaching things uh, because it's just always the client, right? Mm -hmm. It's it, well, oh, they're not responding well to our program because they're just not ready, mm -hmm. you know, or they're too acute or they're just not right for, they're just not a right, a good fit for us. And those are um, essentially statements that, that shut the organization down from growth, right? Mm -hmm. Because they really, uh, they bypass introspection. And I think that that's the one thing that, um, Peaks actually does really well is we're not afraid to look at what we can do better. Um, even the processes that we've had, uh, that we have now versus six months ago versus a year ago, I mean, those have all shifted and we've allowed ourselves that space and that, uh, and that ability to be um, introspective and, ref and reflective and really look and see, all right, what is working and what's not working? And this isn't about because the client didn't respond well to it. It's about what can we do better and how can we actually meet the client more where they are. Yeah, yeah. and that, that, that reminds me, of course, too, of like outcome studies and the importance of yeah. it. When you engage in outcomes, you know, one of the things, and for all the viewers out there, if you wanna go back in the, in the catalog of Finding Peaks episodes, I've interviewed uh, Joanna Conti with Vista Research and Conquer Addiction multiple times on outcome studies. And one of the things she highlighted within that, those discussions was that, hey, everybody believes they're doing a great job. Okay, proof in the pudding, let's do this research. One year later, the data comes in and people are like, oh, there's something wrong with the data. There's something yeah. wrong with the reading, no, because we're way, we're at 90% outcomes. This is stating 33%, that can't be possible uh, in that regard. But the, what the outcomes really require and force, if you're not gonna give up on them in that moment, is to have that introspection and that insights. So, okay, what are we doing? that's not meeting these needs or the patient demand. Like when we say we're a stabilization model, um, we should be stabilizing people in some <laughs> right. considerable yeah. way of things and not having people leave treatment that are unstable or equally as you know, dysregulated or disrupted as when they came to peaks in the first place. Um, so outcomes for me and participating in them, though it's challenging information when you first hear it, um, is to take a look inwards and think, okay, how can we get these things right? And, you know, in, tw you know, 2020 to 2021, we went through some very disruptive periods. We were looking at, you know, AMA rates within the COVID, you know, periods around 20, 25% in there. I mean, that's incredible. There's a lot of downward pressure, right? We can't get off campus. We can't, you know, bring meetings in-house. We're doing exec wild executive, you know, directives from the, you know, governor policies orders, right, in that regard of seven days on, 14 days, seven days on, seven days off, 14 days on, 14 days off. We got... RVs on, so I mean, all kinds of wild stuff that we're yeah. trying to do to like 
account for all of that, right? But we don't want to live at those AMA rights. It's not supportive of our responsibility to the people that we treat. And ultimately, we've arrived at 7.8% is the current running number, just a little bit above 92% of all patients stay through generally a 30 to 45 day curriculum. And so out of those missed opportunities or all those challenges that we went through provides that introspection and allows us to put staff in place to actually really start nurturing what we're talking about. If you're going to do stabilization, it feels like we should have at least an A minus at the very least as far as who's becoming stable within the process. Absolutely. Um, so that might just be an at you guys statement. You probably pretty much uh, invested in that as much as I am. Uh, but you know, going back, we did uh, at the beginning, pre-COVID, January of 2020, Jason, uh, a little bit before Clinton's time, but he's a dare to, he's a dare to lead guy now in our world. Um, we did the dare to lead training with uh, Maeve O'Neill, who's a wonderful professional um, in, the, uh, in our industry and community. And out of that, you read these leadership books, most of them dare to lead podcast, Maeve O'Neill in this particular sense, when you become a, a, a company culture of 50 plus employees, there's this significant shift in responsibility. And we were doing that right around the 50 employee, you know, kind of benchmark. And it's easy to pass off as like, I don't know what people are talking about, like, you know, 36, 50, whatever the number is, it's just, you know, employee, but something about popping above that number really started taking a focus from a manager standpoint of like, I actually don't have time to be all the answers for clients, right? I have to have time as well to have answers for our employee demographic. And just curious, you know, from your lens, Jason, what it was like to kind of pop over that 50 employee, um, you know, personnel, and then what that was like as a shift, because for me, it certainly felt like something shifted. Um, and now we're taking care of kind of two departments, patients and staff now in a much different way. Yeah, I think, you know, completely from my perspective, it, feel, it feels like when, you, when we popped over somewhere around that 50 uh, threshold, um, it did require attention on taking care of our staff. And, you know, when we were a smaller culture, like we all just kind of, we knew each other well enough or we would all go do something together or whatever and we could just kind of nurture each other uh in that same organic fashion that we were providing this kind of grassroots care to people um but somewhere around that phase like i think to your point brandon like you can't keep track of all of that like you have to begin to form those systems too of like how do we care for one another and how do um how do we begin to focus on the on the care providers rather than just providing all of the care and and that's certainly been a big part of my own personal growth too um i don't get nearly as much time with clients as i used to and um and that was a big shift to be honest with you and to begin to to empower clinicians rather than just um doing the work has been a that's been a significant shift so i think it just feels like there's these layers that begin to develop and um and i've had to really think about what it is i do so that i can hopefully pass it along to other people too rather than kind of just doing it all mm -hmm. wow that's yeah cool. i mean i i wasn't there but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. when we're doing small. great now oh. yeah <laughs> but it that's on film you know so. <laughs> clinical clinical culture is a, is a challenging one or at least in that hindsight perspective for me because lpc says i can treat mental health and addiction right mm -hmm. lac says i can treat addiction and then out of that it's like okay well then you're equipped with the tools and the skill sets to actually deliver services within this setting and so <laughs> it is like, hey, I'm going to take these titles, I'm going to put it in this chair, I'm going to put the person on my website, now like go and do the things. And then people turn around and they're like, well, I don't, I don't understand, what do you want me to do with the stabilization thing? This client's like popping off over here, you know, yeah. and what's going on? And, um, and out of that, that for me is like this significant increase in responsibility to staff, LPCs and LACs, sure, I can do the documentation, we can build for these services and I can come at this, but at the same time, like teach me how to do this. Absolutely. Teach me how to do this well. Who do I communicate with when things are going wrong, when things are going well, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and especially as we grow as an organization, I think we've talked about it more from a leadership perspective. It's like, how do we give them more, you know, tools and assets uh, in that regard? And especially as a growing organization, 
I think old, you know, kind of peaks was stick the person in and, you know, kind of hope they do well, but um, that can be pretty destabilizing for an individual, especially around the intensity that sometimes that we experience. And so putting in an actual sort of, or building out sort of an education platform for staff in that regard becomes more imperative in a way that I never thought, you know, four years ago that we'd be engaged in anything like this because I was holding on to those titles. And I think that's an important message for family systems and our industry to appreciate here in the background is that just because somebody has a title behind their name doesn't necessarily mean that they're best suited for that environment of care that they're in and that requires its own nurturing. Yeah, I think what I was thinking about as you were saying all that, we, we are onboarding um, a couple of new clinicians, Amber and Lindsay, and um, you know, what they're used to is walking into an organization and being handed a big caseload and go do a group um, and figure it out. And, and I think what, what I think makes Peaks really cool is like, we take a lot of time to orient clinicians to our caseloads or to our group, our curriculum, and also um, kind of how we maneuver individuals through our care. We, we take a lot of time to do that, like more time than I've ever seen, but we, I think we value so much the culture that we have and the care we are providing um, our clients. And we, we can't have a disparity in care, like it has, to be, it has to be integrous, like it has to be kind of one clinical team and we can't have 14 or 15 individuals running around and doing their own thing. Like, right. cause like you said, you get these degrees or whatever and you have all these ideas and then a lot of the decisions we have to make as clinicians, we're not really taught, and it isn't necessarily yeah. in uh, a CBT or DBT model. Like, there's a lot of judgment involved and a lot of uh, critical thinking involved, I would say. Well, and when you're a small company, like, really, the program is based on the individual talent of the counselors. Like, that's what creates your program clinically. But as you get bigger, that just isn't a thing. I mean, you have to be able to bring people in from, well, one, you want to have a staff that represents the client demographic that you serve. So you're going to have to have people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different experiences, different educations. And, um, but at the same time, you want to preserve that culture. You want to preserve that's the peak's essence, um, which requires training, right? It requires a system. You have to have processes in place. And as much as we invest on clinician invest in clinicians on the front end i mean i still think that we don't do enough but we also do twice as much as most organizations do but that just goes to show that most healthcare organizations particularly behavioral healthcare organizations do not spend a lot of time investing in their clinicians um, you know when you guys were talking about that sort of threshold that 50 person threshold earlier i think when you hit that threshold uh, it's the company and the employees, that's when the family vibes starts to change. And all of a sudden it becomes a company vibe. You're not a part of a family at work, you're a part of a company at work. Uh, at the, and in that moment, there's this really critical piece of uh, cultural preservation that, thank God Peaks got right. We were able to preserve that that family and feel and that, that culture of support that has, um, I think, actually only gotten stronger as we've gotten bigger. But again, it's because we have this investment in the people that we bring on, which is, goes to your earlier point, Brandon, that at some, as you get bigger, you have to invest equally in your employees as your clients. Like they, they are become one and the same. Like that investment as a leader, it has to be, um, almost the it's almost a one for one you know, because in the end if you're if your clinical staff or your medical staff your residential staff doesn't feel supported and doesn't feel invested in how in the world are they going to meet the needs of the clients that are there if we haven't met their needs mm -hmm. totally i'm gonna you know we've talked about this a lot in the leadership meetings and i had you guys kind of put your heads back and listen to a five-minute introduction from this book uh, tribe uh, by the author stephen junger um, just quick background for individuals listening. If you go back to our Dr. Stephen Alardi episodes, uh, The Depression Cure, he talks a lot about tribalism um, that in, in the sense that our biology as human beings is not necessarily equipped for contemporary society. If you catalog uh, our biology back into tribal cultures, he's looking at zero rates of you know, depression, whether it's Himalayan tribes, American Indian tribes, uh, even the Amish is a good 
kind of contemporary uh, tribal culture uh, that exists that has nearly zero rates of depression and anxiety. So the thought from there is, right, like, um, we're not biologically suited for this. Uh, but in that regard, catalog all that, go back, check it out. I think these are all great reads as well, too. But I want to highlight just a quote out of it that says, um, that I've shared with you guys uh, multiple times now, that uh, human, human beings do not mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they do mind is not feeling necessary. And American culture has perfected the art of making people feel not necessary. And that resonates with me certainly at the level of you know, patient care, but also you know, when it comes to employees, our time currency on this planet is very limited. Uh, we don't get a lot of time. We don't know when uh, we're gonna wake up, not wake up, car accident or otherwise, or these awful things can happen in the world to us. And out of that, to me, it brings to light like, we're asking people to give up a great deal of their time, 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 80 hours when it's necessary, you know, whatever the case might be in an hour time allotment. And I further want to say that, you know, you can pay people, you know, as much as you want, but at the same time, that's not going to ensure that cultural, you know, transaction. And so mainly want to say in kind of this uh, bridge to the cultural aspect of running a company that's so pivotal, going from family to an organization that's big enough where people start to not know each other's names is how do we ensure that each individual within the organization feels heard from, hey, this is my world on the outside and this is what's important to me to also I'm trading off some of this world so I can come work with you guys and here's what's important in my professional environment. But ultimately, while everybody's doing their job, they're not just a component of utility toward it, yeah. right? Collecting a paycheck, I'm just here to collect this paycheck, Peach just needs me to document this note so they can get paid as an organization and those things, but to actually have people feel like they matter to the project, to our mission to save lives towards the vision of quality of care, that they're actually participating in something greater than themselves, but not at the high, it doesn't stop at hyperbole, that they actually feel that sort of tribalism within our own company culture. Mm. How do you guys see that as being important within our organization? <laughs> well, it's, it's fundamental. It's everything. I think, and yeah. It is everything. And, uh, um, you know, another word we've been talking about a lot lately is transparency. And I think, obviously, 100% transparency isn't appropriate, but as transparent as we can be and as, um, you know, I certainly try to be as much of just me, Jason Friesma, with my team as I can be and not, um, not anything other than that. And I think that, that feels like a piece of the old peaks that was good and came through is just being, having that genuine, um, approach. Uh, I had another newer clinician, um, a few weeks ago, he, he circled around to me yesterday and told me what this meant to, to him. But I was just like, listen, man, you belong here. Like <laughs> you don't feel it yet, but you belong here. Yeah. And, um, and I think it, that speaks to that necessary, the necessity piece. Um, cause none of us can do this alone yeah. and uh, making sure people see clearly, um, their necessity. And it, it's a tricky balance because like running a company too, like we need to be able to replace people or move people to different positions or, or sometimes people just have to move for their own life circumstances. So it's a delicate balance to, to be like, you are unique. But I, I certainly clinically too, um, what I tell clinicians is I want them to be them. I want, Absolutely. I want you to be you. I don't want you to be a little Friesma or a little Freud or whatever. Like I just want you to be you. And that's where, um, that's where you're gonna be most valuable. Um, and I think, uh, I would hope that helps too. Yeah, I think we've created a, a tribe of authenticity. You know, I think it's, that's our culture. Yeah. Um, we can't replace people when they leave, like, cause they're unique and individual, yeah. but we bring on the next person and we look at them and we hear them and we celebrate them and we utilize the unique skills and attributes that they bring and then we integrate that into the culture. Um, like we talk about company culture, but company culture is just people. Mm -hmm. It's the people that we have, mm -hmm. you know, and if we allow people to show up to work um, in a way where they get to just be genuinely themselves, like, man, like we're, we're, um, we're miles ahead of the next organization. And 
people at that point start to feel necessary because they get to show up to work as themselves. And so there is um, a continuity and a congruence that I think you don't really get in a whole lot of work environments. Um, yeah, but I think that, yeah, we're definitely um, tribe peaks and it's, and it is just a tribe full of unique and amazing and diverse voices. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, absolutely fortunate. And, um, but before we conclude. For sure. I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about it a lot on this show. All of our websites say all the same things. And the reality of a lot of our websites is we're talking about hope as the reality. If you come to Peaks, there's hope. If you go here, there's hope. If you go here, there's hope. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we've been talking about recently is something far more challenging is, is the reality of our business. Uh, we are in healthcare. Uh, not everybody makes it. There are 107,000 opioid deaths last year. Uh, in that regard, never mind all of the other drugs and alcohol, mental health, suicidal, suicidality, all of that stuff that is encompassing of the individuals that we treat. And out of that reality, um, we have the uh, gifts of being able to provide treatment to individuals to give that hope and provide those recovery journeys. And at the same time, there's this sort of underlying burden differently than like, you know, a Snickers bar factory, right, at the end of the day where there's not human lives involved with it. And out of that reality, um, you know, just a few short weeks ago, you know, a friend of Peaks Recovery Centers passed away um, unforeseen and un unexpectedly. But I want to talk about that because that's a very real thing that we do here, speaking to the responsibility of an organization like Peaks, those promises we make on the front end, phone calls, family systems, or otherwise. Um, we know that reality exists you know, within the background and at the same time, not only nurturing family systems when they go through events like that, but also the hit on our staff. And it almost seems unexpected at times, right, where um, you know, different individuals can provide just extraordinary weights to the organization um, and how we feel about those experiences. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about the tough things that aren't always talked about. Uh, in leading a healthcare company, you know, like ours, because it is a reality of this business. It's the reality of hospital systems. It's the reality of, um, you know, really anybody who's treating anybody who has some underlying illness uh, on the other side of it. This is just the way it unfortunately turns out sometimes. But overall, right, um, not just the support of the systems and the family and being transparent about that potential reality, but also, um, how we you know, kind of approach staff. And I think this last few weeks has taught us like we're just maybe missing a little bit of something around that staff aspect. And uh, I think we've wrapped our arms around it in a really healthy way. I think we've talked about it out loud. The same little speech I gave here, I gave on our interdisciplinary you know, team meeting on uh, this last Tuesday uh, in that way. But I guess what it's caused again is just back to that introspection language of yeah there's something more we could be doing here to support staff and also something more we could be doing to um, not dismantle hope for the family system, but provide more uh, realities for the family system that we're treating that this is life or death. And so we gotta like team up together and really lock arms together to nurture this because this is one of the realities of you know, our situation. And, but you know, going back to the staff side of things, um, you know, what has your guys' experience been like over the past few weeks of walking through something like that? I, I think we've done a great job of uh, letting our staff know it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel overwhelmed, it's okay to feel hopeless, it's okay to feel exasperated or tired or whatever. Like, I, I think that creating that culture, um, you know, Oftentimes, a lot of our meetings are about gratitude and all the things that we're grateful for and, and all of that. But if we also don't kind of build a container to say it's also okay to grieve and to feel uh, less than good, um, then I think then, then we're just cheerleaders and we're not living in reality, I think. And so I think we've done um, a phenomenal job of walking through some of the hardships because we celebrate our victories for sure and we grieve our losses, though, as well. I, I think, um, you know, we have these like chief level titles, right? And I think part of the responsibility of a title like that is really being able to hear um, 
when somebody tells you that you didn't do enough, that you're actually not doing a good enough job, and that you have to do better. Um, I think our instinct is to try to fight that and to say, oh, no, no, but look at all the things that we're doing well. Focus, focus on this, not on this. But in the end, like, we have to focus on this. You know, we, um, I think we support our employees amazingly well. And we provide them an opportunity to come in and be genuine and to, to feel all of the feels um, without shame or without mm -hmm. um, retribution or what, what have you. Um, at the same time, because we, have, we ask our staff to show up genuinely, that means that there's an element of vulnerability that inevitably follows, which makes us as a team more susceptible to loss. And I mean, we're, Peaks isn't perfect, you know? We never have been and we never will be, but we will never stop trying. And um, I don't care if it's um, if somebody that we've lost or even just a client that wasn't successful in the program, every single employee feels that. Like they own that and they feel that and they carry that with them because I think we've done a really good job of, at least within company culture, um, reiterating that this is life and death. I mean, our mission is to save lives and when we don't, when we don't meet our mission, you know, people die. Um, so, I mean, I don't mean that to sound somber, but I, I think it, there's just, um, for me, and I think for the three of us in this room, like our commitment to just always doing better and to always trying to, to, to be able to support our employees in whatever way possible and knowing that if there's one thing I would want our employees to know and our teams to know, it's that we will never stop trying to get better. Um, whether for the people that work for us or for our patients, as soon as we stop trying to be better, we should just shut down. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I would share with you guys, you know, as well too, you know, uh, I know how to do mediocrity. Uh, <laughs> there's a way to make exceptional, to use this foul language in an industry of healthcare, uh, you know, there, there are ways to make a great deal of money uh, in this world Absolutely. and through these types of platforms. And my commitment to the organization is to die on the sort of quality of care. So what I mean by that is if insurance premiums continue to lower, but we are committed to this quality project, I would rather die on the sword of losing the company to, and state that we, we were part of something bigger. We tried to do something significant. We tried to do what you know, Dr. Perry and The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog uh, book talks about. You arrive at this quality level, now expand it, now create greater access to it. And what does that look like? And it's seemingly in healthcare systems, uh, it's actually a lot harder to expand quality <laughs> than it is to expand access uh, in that regard. And there's these trade-offs, and I think you know, for us wholeheartedly, we're just committed to quality uh, each and every day, and that's, that's our pursuit. And that's how we go from 12 employees to 111 for the same amount of beds right. uh, at the end of the day. Um, and that's but, how we'll go from 100 to 11 to employees to 211 mm -hmm. employees. But we'll do, it, we'll do it intentionally, and we're not gonna sacrifice anything along the way. It's, it takes us as long as it takes us, but we will get there. Yeah. And you know, before we kind of take this out and, and talk just a little bit more, of, you know, with gratitude for our employees, our leaders, and so forth, you know, I'm just curious for the three of us to just talk out loud about kind of our biggest takeaway of being a leader in an organization. And uh, I think this is a shout out to those, you know, CEOs, chief operating officers, clinical officers, and so forth, maybe in smaller company cultures. Uh, moving forward, you know, the thing that I think I've gotten right as a leader, if I've gotten anything right, is you know whether it's an employee holding me accountable, whether it's a patient holding me accountable, whether it's a family system, whether it's this industry holding me accountable, I've been far more successful in my career path when I take a moment to take one step back and nurture my responsibility, take accountability for where I'm at, um, take responsibility in the situation because with these titles, we are absolutely responsible for each and everything and then come back in uh, you know, to the general work environment with solutions and that sort of thing. Brene Brown talks about in Dare to Lead, 95% of the time spent on the problem, 5% on the solution. And when we feel like we're doing great things and we get hit with hard things, it's like we wanna be reactionary and solution focused in those moments, but that reflection period and that absorbing of responsibility 
taking a day or two and then taking it back to the teams has been pivotal, I think, in my personal success as a leader in the organization, uh, but for the overall organization of vulnerability and preservation of that. So curious about, maybe it's the same, maybe it's different, but something that's been powerful from you know, your leadership perspective that we can give to the viewers as a takeaway. Man, I, I feel like, first of all, um, you know, we have a core value of being curious, and I know I always have to seek first to understand anything before I'm trying to be understood. Because <laughs> um, I know I don't read things perfectly, and, and sometimes people just have to explain things to me, or, um, or you know, maybe when one of us isn't in the room, things go differently. <laughs> so, like, I have to ask and be curious. Um, uh, and so I've definitely learned that. Um, I've also certainly learned I can't demand um, anything from, from my team that I'm not willing to do or offer myself. I can't demand a team to be emotionally available for one another and for clients and all that if I am uh, detached or um, uh, not around. So um, those things matter a lot. And I think, I think maybe it's not quite what you're saying, but I, I do know like always my first thought too is like, okay, what, um, where's my responsibility in whatever situation? And then um, I think I learned from Clinton too, like, okay, what's the operational solution? And s instead of going at people, like, let's look at the process first. That's where I would start. Wow. Um, I think that in my experience, um, no leadership team works, no organization works um, if there isn't safety and if there isn't trust. And um, I think that I, over the course of my career, I think I've spent more time than I ever thought I would just trying to foster safety and trust. Because if you have those two things, then you have an environment of um, creativity, of risk, of exploration, but also of um, support and compassion and empathy. Um, it's, I think that it's one of the things that I greatly underestimated going into probably my first career and have, uh, am so grateful that I've learned and been able to, and that when I stepped into Peaks, I think it's one of the reasons why I was so drawn to it. Um, I mean, you're a very charismatic interview <laughs> and you had your five inch shorts on. There's a whole lot, there's a whole lot going for Peaks at the time, but there, it felt safe and it felt, I felt like this was a place where I can like really stretch and really push myself um, and create an environment that other people can do that too. Appreciate it, appreciate those insights. You know, for me, you know, I've, you guys know me, I'll listen to any books, read all the books. You, all the books. avid reader, but I will yeah. take those in and be like, we're changing the company tomorrow because look what I've read, right? <laughs> Calm down, Brandon. Yeah. Calm down. But. Generally speaking, one of the great books that was ever recommended to me was by you, Jason, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. And he asks in the book, without cataloging the whole book here, uh, around cultural development, like what is it worth uh, to you as an organization, to you as a leader? And in reading that simple passage on top of all of the gifts he gives us in the book for being leaders in this world, I thought, to me, it's worth everything now. Um, and so that's what we do. I feel like that's my whole job I, each and every day at Peaks as a leader in an organization, especially a healthcare system, uphold the mission, uphold the vision, and definitely ensure the core values are always operating within the organization. And now the CEO title thing gets really simplified into um, something meaningful, greater than myself, and it's the project that I'm advancing uh, each and every day. And with that, as best as I can here, I think I can move through this. And we had a pretty emotional interdisciplinary team meeting this week uh, for a variety of different reasons, but I'm grateful for the leaders around me. Clint, you were gone for two days. Cried like a little baby in your absence <laughs> during the interdisciplinary team meeting, right? You know, just taking two days off and, you know, in that regard, that's, to me, 
how close we are, your office right next to mine, you know, hearing each other talk back and forth through the walls, all those sort of things and the meetings and the nuances of it. Um, you know, there's something special here and there's something special within this room and what you've provided, Jason, and how you've stepped up into this greater company culture in a way that it's probably a lot safer for probably the three of us to do the things prior to stepping up into these moments uh, in that regard and um, certainly would eliminate a lot of, you know, fear, maybe anxiety, at least for myself uh, in that regard. But, you know, Dr. Ryan, our chief medical officer, Ariella, our director of nursing, Rachel Tapp, director of IOP, uh, office manager Jennifer Esparza, my wife, human resource uh, <laughs> director in that regard as well too. Um, all Aaron on our admissions line, I mean wholeheartedly, what a future leader in this world, not just yeah. uh, within Peaks, but I mean her, her future is bright in this regard. Our residential directors, Sarah, Brandon, Kara, uh, in that regard as well too, who show up wholeheartedly in the direction of patient care each and every day. Uh, Paul Eschen, our financial guy, nobody <laughs> likes to talk financials and healthcare, but it matters, especially when your financial guy has the same heart as the company culture um, and wants to continue to add the next best staff to the operations that ensures its longevity. Um, and without cataloging, of course, the entire, you know, 100 other employees that exist in our organization, you know, just a big shout out to them as well, too, that uh, we always hear you, we're listening, and we're always trying to strive to do better on your part because, to me, uh, if we get this cultural staff dynamic correct, patient care just follows. And it feels that simple at the end of the day. Um, when we're disrupted, the patients experience it. When we're elated, they're elated. You know, there's this <laughs> transference thing that's constantly going on. And so the nurturing the staff side to me always has this positive ongoing reduction in against medical ad advice discharges. And I think we're seeing that in real time. And we'll just encourage any other company culture out there to take it seriously, especially at that 50 employee mark, because you're going from a family to a much bigger thing. Okay. And missing that mark, I think, can be quite catastrophic uh, in a really big way. And we were fortunate enough to avoid it. Uh, at the same time, I think we could feel it simmering at times uh, as well, too. So I want to give my gratitude for the staff there. Uh, before I take it out, you guys want to throw out some shout outs as well, too? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do want to shout out the clinical team. And, uh, you know, I really, I, I look at them as, uh, I don't know, we have, we have our clinical meeting on Wednesday afternoons, and I just look at that meeting as sacred ground and just where, uh, where our culture as a, as a company, um, I think it's where the interface with the clients comes with the culture of the company. Um, and I mean, they just show up time and time again, difficult times in their own lives, difficult times with clients showing up and, uh, definitely giving it their all. And, um, I, I don't know, I just couldn't be more proud of, of a team and I'm humbled, uh, by the work they do every day. So shout out to clinical, you guys rock. Wow. Um, I think one of the great things about my position is I basically just work with all of the leaders, yeah. you know, um, on all the teams I get, I have direct contact. And, um, so in, in having that contact, I get to hear about everybody, you know, like I, I'm literally on, we have the, our chat message platform where all of the communication for the company goes through and I am on every single chat not because I'm a control freak, sometimes, maybe a little bit, but really so I can just see people, like I, to see everybody. I mean, there's, there's no one team that can exist without the other. There's no one position that can exist without the other. Every single person that we have is vital and amazing. And um, I got to take two days off and really just sort of watch it all happen. And it was absolutely breathtaking in the best way possible. Um, so I'm just grateful for the tribe. I'm grateful for the entire tribe and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just grateful that I have talent like this on my team because <coughs> I cannot do it alone, certainly. And you guys keep all my tangents at bay so that company culture doesn't have to experience them, except for the viewers on these episodes. Uh, <laughs> You know, in taking this out, I think, I think there are two individuals that I'm trying to touch base with out here. One, family systems, to hear that 
there is, at least here at Peaks Recovery Centers, there's a lot of thought going into this each and every day, and it's not uh, hyperbolic thought. There are meetings, processes, systems, constant conversations, pushback. We got uh, pin cushions. We take thoughts, <laughs> ideas, put in, and pull those things out at some future date, you know, to actually implement them as an organization. Uh, you know, patients come us and tell us what they could see, you know, being better for them in the future. I think our responsibility is to respond to those types of things. Um, and family systems desperate for that hope, uh, love and guidance from an organization isn't always talked about on the front end. And I just want, you know, family systems to hear kind of, um, at least at a, at a high level, some of how of our thinking goes about in delivering these services and some of the complexities with it as well too. 111 people plus 36 patients, a lot of people to kind of know where everybody's going at any given time. And then I think professionals out there as well, too. Um, you know, a lot of us, especially here in the state of Colorado, have seen us grow from that 12 employee standpoint to where we're at now. And it was not a smooth, you know, linear journey by any means. It had wild ripples within it and learning experiences that we went through. Uh, but the moment I think we took seriously what it means to be a leader and to really engage in that and, and, and implement a leadership meeting to talk about this, how we're gonna nurture this, how we're gonna implement these core values, all of that sort of stuff mattered. And to me, you know, some of these books ask, you know, do you think you're above these things? Are these too foo-foo for you in regards to black and white logistics that you know, maybe work, I don't know, in an engineering firm or something. I don't, I don't, don't hate me out there, engineers, if you guys are loving on each other and uh, doing vulnerability and dare to lead stuff at the end of the day. But um, it matters. And the more energy that you put into that, the greater reward you'll experience on this side. And by reward, I mean a greater customer experience and a greater appreciation for the services that you promised on the front end uh, in that regard. So take responsibility reach out to us, use us as a platform, and maybe as a guiding post if you're back there, you can all reach out to me, you know that, uh, my friends here in the state of Colorado. Uh, but otherwise, signing off, another episode of Finding Peaks here, Finding Peaks at PeaksRecovery.com. Send us your ideas, thoughts, insights, happy to extend on this conversation in the future. Follow us on the TikToks, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, all the things, we're on all the things. Uh, and at the end of the day, we just wholeheartedly love and appreciate the opportunity to do this each and every week and to just talk about the thing that we love doing and grateful for your, all of your attention on the other side of this uh, camera and the audio podcast side of things. So until next time, love y'all. Yeah.